Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed Marks here, Digital Voices. So glad you can join us. Another awesome episode awaits. And today we're going to talk a lot about digital transformation and from a clinician point of view and and all the leadership around that and really go into a little bit of depth. But before we go there, DJ Megan, did you ever have a twist in your career, like starting in one position, but shifting to another? Not too much. No, I've kind of been on the same track. When I first, I can just Early, very early in my career, right out of college, I had a hard time finding a job. So I sort of took the first thing I could find and it was in an admin role. So I was able to start out in that company as an admin and then I was able to move into their marketing department as a communications coordinator. So I was able to get to where I wanted to be through that that in as an admin. So that was really the only thing I can think of. Small, not too much of a pivot, but still yeah. a little one. No, it's good to be able to make those. And uh, our guest today, Dr. Mike Oppenheim, he definitely has taken a couple of pivots in his career. That's why I asked that question. And so I want to bring Mike into the podcast right now. Mike, welcome to Digital Voices. Thanks. Happy to be here. We were talking about when we first met, and it's really all been virtual or online sort of relationship. Even though we both serve in New York City, you much longer than myself, and we have a lot of common friends, but we actually never met, we don't think, in person. So it's been this kind of a online virtual relationship. But certainly you have a great reputation. You're a great leader out there for some time doing amazing things. And so that's why we wanted you on our podcast so bad. So I'm glad it all worked out and uh, you're here with us today. So, Mike, the first question we always ask everyone is songs on your playlist. So what kind of music do you like to listen to? Uh, So I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. So I have I have actually two major playlists, one for, you know, when I'm in a good mood and I want, you know, upbeat (laughs) stuff. And it's, you know, YouTube and R.E.M. and Brian Adams. And and then I've got a little more mellow. Also, you know, 80s, 90s playlist, you know, Survivor Chicago, some of that stuff. (laughs) I'm a child of the 80s and 90s and then that music is still what resonates with me today. Yeah, that's funny because I have to get down with those same two genres as well and we're probably about in the same age group. So what is your passion, life message or mantra? Are there sort of words or a quote or something that sort of has helped guide your life? I'm a religious man, a family man and so I think I kind of draw on some of that and I think, uh, you know, one of the big tenets of my religion is, you know, leave the world a better place than when you came into it and that's sort of what I try to see my family try to do and for myself and, you know, both work and personally. Great. And it's great that it's sort of integrated across both, right? It doesn't need to change. So tell us a little bit about your story, personal, professional, however far back you want to go. But I think people kind of want to get to know who you are before we jump into sort of some of the cool things you're doing. I'll actually touch it a little more on the professional. I like to joke that my, my career is one bit of really good strategic advice and one bit of real dumb luck. And uh, the strategic part, I was, uh, you know, geeky kid in high school, played for those who remember that era, the uh, my high school had a TRS-80, and when I was able to scrape together enough money in high school, I actually bought my own Commodore VIC-20, so for those who remember, right. I never really thought about it as a career back then. Nobody was thinking about a career. This was, you know, my high school was, was in the mid-80s. You know, before I went to medical school, which is sort of what I always, I was like, before I went to college, knowing back then already that I had the passion I wanted to go into medical 
school and become a doctor. Some friend of my dad's, I don't remember who, said, you know, the medical school curriculum is fixed. You know, everybody takes the same thing. There's no electives, there's no advanced courses. So it doesn't pay to spend your time in college and all the stuff you're going to have to learn in medical school anyway. Find something else you like and spend your time there. So I did, did an undergraduate computer science, uh, didn't quite complete it. It was a minor, it wasn't a major, three credits shy. Maybe I'll do that someday, I don't know. But I finished with a computer science minor. Again, never really thinking that it would lead anywhere. Went to medical school, again, fully intent on, you know, a straight doctor career. And then two interesting things happened. Number, number one, that there was a lot of money to be made in those days. This was sort of the, you know, the early 90s doing custom programming jobs for labs. You know, programmers weren't a dime a dozen back then. Uh, and also we had a thesis requirement in med school. And I realized that I'm not sitting here at a lab bench petting the rest of my life. So I wound up connecting with the nascent informatics group in my medical school at Yale. And uh, again, Thought, you know, a few bucks from private programming labs, got my thesis done. That was great. Again, never really think it was a career. And then the dumb luck part came is as I was sort of completing my residency, our residency director at uh, New York Hospital, his name was Joe Hayes, for those who remember him, was transitioning to be the head of the EMR deployment that was going on at uh, New York Hospital at the time. Again, this is the, like the mid-90s now. And um, he knew that he was sort of a technophile, but not really that savvy about technology and so he sort of pulls out everybody's resident folders and says hmm like who has a background who can help me get this done and the rest is history he called me and one other person who is now a cio in a major new york academic medical center today both of us were residents together and he said hey come with me on this journey and you know began to realize this was a career where uh, could still continue to practice medicine but could you know influence things in a larger way and influence how medicine is practiced <laughs> good or bad as we'll talk about with uh, with technology and that's sort of how how my career has pivoted in this direction. That's great. So you've been at Northwell Health for how long now? This past August was my 20th anniversary. That's amazing. You're a longtime, what I call legendary CMIO, but you recently switched to uh, something a little bit different with digital in the title. Can you share what that what that is? I still have a lot of the traditional CMIO and now CNIO things under me, but there's really a broadening of responsibility. And let me, let me say a few words about how Northwell is organizing our, digi- organizing our digital transformation work. And really, we're having five areas within digital transformation, one focusing purely on the technology side and, you know, cloud transformation, agility, then two roles of which I have one of the two, one focused on consumer and one focused on clinician digital experience. And so what really excited me is that, you know, when you think about classically what a CMIO does, we introduce technology, we digitize into the clinical arena, but we don't have an opportunity to focus as much on the physician experience. We're at the mercy of the systems we're deploying, the regulatory requirements we're chasing, the quality initiatives we're chasing. And physician experience, unfortunately, falls to the back burner. And so, again, what's exciting is a lot of organizations are focused on transformation for their consumers, and rightly so. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more as the time goes on. But Northwell wants to make a specific focus on and how do we, and to use the words that have been used by my boss, how do we delight our clinicians, right? How do we make the technology not a burden? And my personal philosophy is, you know, how does it enable better care and how does it enable a more connectedness, right? So the EMR was seen as disarticulating the clinician from the patient. How do we take modern digital technology and bring the clinicians and the consumers, patients, call them what you wish, or the practices into a tighter alignment, not a more distant alignment? And that's a real exciting opportunity to 
Some might say it's penance for what I've done the last 20 years with the MRS, but I, I think the opportunity to say, let's focus on the clinician experience around this and not just the system needs is really an amazing opportunity. I'm really excited to have that and, and to continue to partner with our consumer partner, because I think there's a lot of things that happen on the consumer side that really could be done even better if you had the clinical perspective as you're initially touching and engaging with that consumer. So. It's really an exciting opportunity. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, right? Because it's not mutually exclusive. A lot of times people thought, well, if we focus on the clinician experience, then it's going to hurt human experience and vice versa. And it's not true. And, and you all are proving that thesis out, that you can do both. You can delight the human and at the same time better delight the clinician. And your clinician's arguments too. You may not realize <laughs> That's a good point. But, you know, it goes back to the whole discussions. No, I'm just kidding. I better be <laughs> careful what I say. That's great. No, it's often discussed in the boardrooms, too. It's like, what do you, you know, and some people get offended. Like, if you call them patients, no, they're humans. Yeah. They humans, no, they're patients. And so, you know, I, I just customers, try to Customers, patients, we debated them all. Yeah. There's no right answer, but as long as you all agree within your own organization, that's probably the best, best thing. And the outcome is what we're all looking for is for a better experience. That's kind of interesting, though, Mike. I'd be interested in your perspective, you know, as a generality, how much of burnout would you attribute just to poor systems from the past and how much of it can we then correct, if that makes sense? So, you know, if part of burnout, you know, is 20% attributable to technology, can we reverse that? So I'd be curious about your perspectives. It's a really interesting and much more than a half hour podcast question of is the EMR the cause of burnout? Is the EMR sort of the, you know, the innocent shooting the messenger because it becomes the vehicle by which regulatory quality finance initiatives are pushed forward? And, and I, you know, the, the short answer, in my opinion, is it's clearly both. And, you know, what percent is the innate limitations of the EHR? What percent is the administrative burden that it delivers? It almost becomes irrelevant, right? So I, I think the answer, though, is in a couple of areas, right? So the EMR is a reality, right? I think, you know, when, when you hear some people, in my opinion, talk about, you know, the digital future is the end of the EMR and a series of interconnected web services that, that deliver the function. You know, I don't think anyone who really works in a clinical environment and really understands the innate connectedness of a clinical process across days, weeks, months, years, multiple providers, multiple environments, I don't see that happening, you know, for another, maybe in 10 yeah. or 15 years, right? So the EHR is here to stay, right? So how do we engineer around it or within it so that the experience of using it becomes more more pleasant, right? So, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that digital is all about, you know, any of these particular initiatives, but, you know, a couple of themes, right? Automation, right? Intelligent automation, right? So that a lot of the tasks can just be automated. And so we just work around the innate limitations of the administrative burden because we use intelligence to check off those boxes and, and put in those orders or whatever it is. Ambient listening for scribing, right? A big, big piece, right? There's been a whole move towards scribes, which obviously at scale becomes very expensive for an organization. You know, why can't AI, why can't AI do that, right? The other thing that I think personally that I think is under-recognized is some of the information gathering burden, right? So we've done an amazing job of creating these giant and, you know, the, the big word of the day, right, is data lakes. And my, my, my sort of response is, yeah, but my doctors are drowning in the data lake, right? How do you find that one or two important things in this, you know, this massive amount of data, right? So how do we start bringing more contextually relevant information right to the clinician so that they're not sitting there frustratedly in that, you know, 
15 minute visit slot or 10 minute visit slot, spending three or four of those precious minutes hunting and gathering for the five or six key pieces of information, right? Let, let's bring it forward. So all of this, you know, is ways to decrease. It really boils down, you know, when I, when I distill it out, I want to decrease the cognitive burden of practicing medicine by delivering the information, delivering insights from that information, the administrative burden by bringing automation, and then layering in tools that increase the connected, right? Providers got into the business, basically, unless you're certain specialties, which shall remain nameless, right? You went into medicine for a human connection, right? And I won't talk about our brethren in certain specialties. We'll leave that be. But you went in for the connectedness, right? And what I'm trying to do is buy back time and energy and brain cycles with the automation, the insights, and move that to digital connectivity with patients, right? The way to interact through multiple digital channels and modalities, you know, again, intelligently, right? So patients, so docs don't get inundated, but, you know, do that intelligently with intelligent triage, you know, whatever the technologies are that go there, but that enable me as the provider to creatively engage with my patients to monitor them better, whether it's through chatbots, whether it's through, you know, biomedical devices in the home, whatever it is, and then synthesizing that into insights, right? So that I'm not inundated with chat messages or with chat results or with irrelevant vital signs, right? If I have a thousand patients on monitoring, 999 and a half of them are going to have completely normal, right? I don't need to look at 999 normal reports, right? I need to sur- I need to surface that one, again, through intelligence, that one important thing so that I know that if something happens and needs attention, that will be brought to me. So again, all in keep increasing my focus and my connection to my patients. We agree. Yeah, it's hard to attribute a, a certain percentage or anything like that, but clearly uh, technology inadvertently caused a burden, And but there's things that you can do about it, and that's sort of what you're focused on. And you gave us a lot of great ideas about some of those areas. So, you know, you talked in the beginning about sort of this big sort of digital digital shift, you know, there's five different areas that Northwell is taking. Clearly, Northwell sees a shift and everyone knows. Yeah, you know, I, I personally put you all in top 1% of the hospitals and the healthcare systems in terms of, you know, the leadership that's displayed uh, by all the members of your C-suite. And, uh, or where do you think healthcare is sort of evolving? So we talk, we focus specifically just now on clinician experience, but in general, you know, where do you think we're headed so that we can, uh, best prepare and what are maybe one or two things that Northwell is focused on, you know, in terms of the digital? We're all seeing, you know, the major forces, you know, you know this well, you know, it's in your book. The consumerism movement is incredibly strong. Not only is it strong, you know, it's always been strong, but I think healthcare has been able to avoid it a little bit because, you know, we were the only ones out there. And I, I don't mean this in a, in a horrible way, the way it's going to come out. But, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you had consumers had to play by our rules. Right. And so we didn't have the mandate to address the consumerism movement as much as now when you're seeing all sorts of creative entrants in the marketplace, retail kind of hell, unusual players, you know, payers getting in the business, pharmacies, other folks expanding to into the direct provider space and, and frankly, competing on experience. Right. Not necessarily quality. You know, that, that's the other thing. That's going yeah. on, right. Quality is now, you know, it used to be competition on quality was the lingua franca. Right. And health grades and you go and you see, is this a five star hospital, four star hospital? And those things are all still important. But I think consumers are coming to understand, you know, the bar has lifted for, you know, any number of reasons that quality now is sort of is sort of, you know, as one of my colleagues, one of the other five leads called, you know, that's table stakes. Right. That, that's a given. Right. The competition is on experience. And so. We have to focus on experience and we have to focus on the fact that we've got 
organizations out there who are, you know, frankly, some of these organizations, the appeal is to, you know, the, the patients who are frankly, you know, more favorable. Like, hey, you know, you big health systems, you take care of the chronically ill, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll take sort of, you know, moderately, you know, well-managed middle age, right? It's shifting dynamic dramatically. And so that becomes a really, really big factor. And the other thing is is around workforce, right? I mean, we all know what we're all going through from, you know, the workforce changes that are happening. And healthcare has been in a work harder, not work smarter and harder. And now like we, we've hit the peak of where harder is, and especially with the challenge of recruiting and the competition for talent, we really have to shift to smarter and can't focus on the harder anymore. And so those are some of the pieces that we see as important and, and really, you know, trying to envision, you know, a digital future where, you know, the highest, the, the clinicians are, like I said, happy. We have, you know, a tight engagement with our customers and the best tools so that the consumers feel that they're getting the most cutting edge. It's not just, you know, in the physician's head, but they see that there is AI. They see that there's, you know, all sorts of advanced tools that are supporting the clinicians to give them a confidence level that this is where they want to be. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And I, and I hate to say it, but I do believe it to be true that through the whole consumerism movement that it for many people, maybe not the highest acuity, but for general medicine, that experience trumps quality from the eyes of the consumer. Not us, right? We're like, no, 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 always go to the highest quality. You know, look up their score, look up the rating, look up everything, look up outcomes. But I think for many consumers, it's, hey, can I go down the street? There's two miles down from me, there's, there's a retail clinic. And even though it might be average, I'll take average. And I think there is that sort of shift. And it's, it's sort of uh, uh, sad on that level, but it just speaks to the fact that healthcare systems, and you all recognize it, we have to be become more about the, keep the quality and focus on the quality, but also the experience. Absolutely. I'm curious how you make digital strategy. So you're sitting there in your new role and you've already given us your, you've already shared some of your thinking. So how do you go about that? So I mean, in really practical terms. So you, you do you have meetings and you're with your, your colleagues and you sort of talk about all these things uh, based on research, based on things that you're seeing or a combination of all those. I just, yeah, I think sometimes people wonder how do strategies get created? Yeah, so, so we're in sort of this narrowing funnel model actually right now, which is, I think, good. Just sort of come, we're coming at a good time. So we originally started, you know, at a very, very high level to get the most senior level buy-in. Once we had that in place, we then ran a series of retreats. The first retreat was with a mixed audience of, you know, administrative leaders and clinical leaders, you know, at sort of the chair level. And first put forward, say, what are the most important things that you think we want to accomplish out of digital transformation. And we, and we came out with, you know, three high level goals around it. One being around, you know, building the trust and being the proactive, you know, being the most proactive provider in the area. One around, you know, frictionless access to the health system. And the third being around elevating the clinical experience, again, both as both from a quality and a clinician experience perspective, right? So out of that, we said, okay, now let's start refining some of these. And we had more stakeholder focused groups where, and this was just sort of a, a function of how we're organized. We generally try to, I'll just talk about the clinical stripe. We generally try to keep all our disciplines together, but just because we were sort of piggybacking on existing meetings that were going on, we had a opportunity to spend a day of the retreat for our board of governors, which is a physician leadership group to say to them, okay, 
what did this mean to you? What are the practical things that are most important to you to achieve that clinical goal? We did a, a same one with the nursing executive leadership on their retreat. And so, and similar ones have happened with other administrative audiences and consumer focused audiences and really come up with sort of this, uh, you know, a large list of priorities, you know, from sort of the next level down of leadership to say, okay, if these are our three priority groups, what does that translate into from a practical perspective on how we achieve it? And now the five leads across, you know, the different areas, and I didn't mention all of them, I mentioned the IT and technology, consumer, clinical, they have one on innovation and one on data intelligence. The five of us are now actually going through a process with our leadership teams to really refine that in the context of budgetary requirements, other large technology initiatives that are going on in our organization right now, and rationalizing and putting that into a real sort of tactical roadmap of, okay, what are we all going to work on and how are we going to approach this uh, digital transformation program across the five of us based on the input we've received. And then we continue to work with a governance group that's been put together to refine that and refine that and validate and validate as we go. Yeah, no, that's a great, great process. And roughly what sort of time frame did that take just in months or quarters? The first retreat offsite was uh, late 2021. The two clinical retreats were in the first and second quarters of 2022, respectively. But again, that's because we were at that point, the digital transformation program hadn't gotten all the legs in the buy-in. So we were just piggybacking off existing forums. Now we've right. got you know, leadership buy-in at multiple multiple levels as sort of an entity by itself. So now we're really able to pick up speed and move forward. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I, I just asked because I, I know some people always wonder, because, you know, unfortunately, you know, and I'm exposed to many, many different health systems and payers. There's only about 20% that have actually developed any plan. And one of the reasons is they think it's so, it's such a massive undertaking, which it is, but it, you can do it. It takes a little bit of discipline, it takes a little bit of time, but you can do it. And you have to do it for all the reasons that you're citing, Mike, you know, in terms of the forces that we're dealing with, the competition, you've got to be smart about it. And plus it leads to, you know, a better experience for both clinicians and, and uh, patients' families. And it also, a better financial outcome as well. So that's really super interesting. I wish we had more time, like we talked about already, to dive into that. But I want to switch to leadership. So you're obviously a great leader. You've, you've been, as we mentioned, a long tenured executive. And I'm curious what you would say are one to two keys to your success. Yeah, I think what it took me a little while to learn when I started, and I think What's really most important is to recognize that as an executive leader, your role is to inspire and to either set a vision or help others set a vision that's consistent with the organizational mission and let others execute. It takes a little while to get to that point to realize that I won't be judged on what I did, but judged on the leadership team I put together and how that team executes. Right. And, and it took me a while. And that's good because if you're able to do that, you can step at least one or two steps away from the work. Then you can really start focusing your head, not in focus just in the areas where you have to execute, but in what's the broader organizational set of challenges, missions, and start to think more broadly than your silo where you're responsible. And that allows you to then bring those ideas back into your future vision and support broader and broader swaths of the organization in what you do. And that's where people recognize that you're really a, you know, a strategic leader for the organization and not just an executor in you know, whatever area you've been given to handle. Yeah. 
this is gold. So this is a really, really great information for, for many of the listeners, because I mean, even sometimes we might know it intellectually, but we do, don't know necessarily people who've done it. But what you articulated there was, is, uh, you know, a part of an MBA course. So that's really good. What about for physicians who are looking to get into digital leadership? In fact, I, I took a call today. So I take these calls from random physicians. They, they see me speak or read something and they're like, hey, I'm really interested in becoming a CIO or CMIO. And this young physician was asking me sort of how to get there. Now, I could lead him so far. I'm not a clinician myself. So you'd have a better take on that. So what advice would you give to someone like that who has those sort of aspirations? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because the answer I would have given 10 or, you know, 15 or even 10 years ago is very different than the answer I would give now. I think the first thing is that I think for better or for worse, a lot of physicians want to make the transition to CMIO or digital leadership because they think it's about the technology. And certainly in digital, it's about the toys, right? I'm really into wearables. I'm really into, you know, AI for intermediate They have to really understand it's not about that, right? It's really, it's really about understanding the broader challenges of healthcare administration, healthcare execution, and figuring out how to bridge that gap and represent the clinical perspective, but understand what the broader organizational mission and organizational challenges are. And as an afterthought, when you're thinking about the reimagining of healthcare and you bring, you know, physicians bring a huge amount to the table because the perspective of executives sometimes is a little a little distanced from the reality of what it really takes to care for a patient. So you have a lot to contribute, but it has to be thinking more in sort of a policy and strategy way and not about, I have a tool, I have a toy, I like this technology, right? If you're starting from the technology, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, that was true, right? The early days of, you know, informaticists and, you know, implementation people, you know, and, and uh, informaticists and CMIOs was around implementation and bringing out EMRs and that involved workflow transformation on some level. But now the digital strategies and even the CMOs, it's a strategic role, right? People are not here to implement systems anymore, right? They're here to think about the broadest problems, add your perspective as a clinician, and then figure out how you make the transformation. And oh, by the way, there's some real technology support that can allow me to transform it in a way that I couldn't do five or 10 years ago. But if you but you can't start from the lens of technology. So you really have to understand healthcare administration and really understand the administrative side of healthcare, and then you bring in your clinical experience and insight into that, into in how th- solutions are contemplated, and then you bring the technology piece to support that. If you start the other way, conversation doesn't even get going. Very good advice. That, that makes me think of uh, another question to ask, and that is what's advice you have for CIOs, CDOs, working with clinician counterparts to be the most effective. So I'm sure you're lucky you've got a great team there, but assume that you didn't, you know, what what sort of counsel would you give someone who's trying to work that relationship? I think you got to get down and like, I think there's a massive divide between the, the clinician mindset and the administrative mindset. And I think you have to really spend a lot of time. You need to get a frontline view, right? Don't just listen to them. Go out to their environment. Watch what they do. Like, and because that's how they will suddenly respect that you actually care yeah. and you're willing to understand what their daily trials and tribulations is. Even if, if what you have to talk about is 10,000 feet above that, they need to understand that you're willing to really roll up your sleeves and see what their processes are and what their daily life is and respect their training and don't 
just say, well, you know, you're good on the clinical side, but you don't understand administration, right? So take the time to explain it, help them understand. They'll be great colleagues, but I think, you know, you've got to show a willingness to cross over and join their world and let them take you through their world to build that trust. Very good point. Wow. Uh, So much to talk about. We we hit so many topics and I could dive into like these two or three major areas that we touched on a lot deeper. Unfortunately, we're at the end of our time. So I want to leave the last uh, kind of open-ended for you, Mike. And that is, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of things here, you know, the leadership, the tech, the digital strategy, your role and how to get along with each other. Is there something that we missed or you want to double down on as sort of our our closing thoughts? I mean, all I would say is I think despite the fast pace of medicine, despite the fast pace of healthcare transformation, despite the incredible appetites that organizations have, you have to remind yourself every now and then, and one of my last parting advice, it's still a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. It's incumbent to lay out a long-term vision that people can buy into. You gotta have those short-term wins to establish some credibility. But once you do, don't try to do everything in one day, right? Have that long-term vision, evangelize the long-term vision, show people how every step you're taking is getting you on that vision. If you try to do too much at once, you know, there is a limit. You're trying to transform the organization clinically. Finance and RevCycle are trying to transform from RevCycle. Quality is trying to transform. Everybody's got their piece of the pie, right? So you got to, first of all, bring those together. But you've also got to be very measured in how much change you think you're going to be able to deliver with everything else going on. And so keep the long view evangelize the long view, show how every step along the way is getting them there so people understand that they're on the journey towards that end point and don't try to, you know, throw it all in at once because that's really key to a, to a you know, a hospital bed with a big bleeding ulcer. <laughs> that's good. I like that in summary. And let me just tell you, Mike, th- this is what I, I took from our time together about you. So for those who don't know you, super practical, very authentic, uh, human, smart, and uh, just really enjoyable to speak with. So thank you very much. It's been an honor to have you on our podcast. And I wish you at Northwell, you know, nothing uh, but the best in the future. So thanks again for being uh, my guest. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. All right. That wraps up Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.